Welcome back to the program. Great to welcome today a man who's written a book about really one of the legends of a broadcast. We're going to talk about Red Barber, of course, uh, the great baseball broadcaster. But there's a lot more than that. Uh, I know some people might just remember him from his uh, days on NPR at the end of his career. But, of course, he was the voice of, uh, of the Brooklyn Dodgers for so many years, the New York Yankees, Cincinnati Reds right before that. But on uh, television and uh, radio, uh, doing uh, multiple types of shows. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Red today in a great new book called uh, Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend. We're joined today by uh, uh, James Walker from out in uh, the Chicago area today who uh, wrote the book. And uh, James joined us by telephone. And, uh, James, good to talk with you. How are you? I'm doing fine and love to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm glad we had a chance to uh, to do this today. I know we uh, you were on a trip, so I'm glad we were able to work it out when you got back from overseas. So it's always great to talk uh, not only baseball, but uh, uh, my first love, broadcasting. And uh, boy, he really combined both, didn't he? He did. He was really a legend as a broadcaster, and uh, he really influenced so many other great broadcasters. The most significant, of course, was Vin Scully, who uh, he was able to hire and develop uh, while he was in Brooklyn. And Vin always credited Red with really helping him become a professional as a broadcaster. And they really almost had kind of a father-son relationship. Um, and But he really influenced a whole generation. And, and of course, people who were influenced by listening to Vin Scully uh, they're getting echoes of Red Barber. So he really was a legend in broadcasting. Yeah, I've heard Vin, uh, when he retired from the booth about five years ago, uh, a lot of the broadcasters, and you know, he saw the interviews, were asking him about Red, and he said, yeah, he was kind of like the uh, the son. I guess Connie Desmond was kind of like the, the older brother, and Red was the father figure. Red, Red could be a little yep. tough, he said. I mean, he was a taskmaster, yep. but uh, but he, 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 uh, he learned a lot from him. He certainly was, and uh, and uh, you know he he was not the easiest person to work with, but uh, he had a very strong sense of professionalism, and he really wanted to see other broadcasters uh, fulfill that uh, that expectation that he had for them. And uh, Vin, but I think Vin uh, always uh, recognized that he profited from those uh, those tough times. Did you get a chance to to talk to Vin at all for the book? Uh, no, uh, unfortunately, we did contact him, and he did respond to us by email, uh, and really wished us the best with the project, but. Uh, 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 decided that he didn't want to interview at this time. And one of the nice things, though, about Ben is he he's written so much about Red. He did a wonderful um, uh, memorial piece uh, for Red when Reddy passed away, and it was published in Reader's Digest. And then we had many letters from uh, Ben to Red that we were able to include in the right. book. So uh, so we really were able to get his voice in the book. Yeah, yeah, I know you had a lot about it. I don't know if you had a chance to maybe chat with him a little bit, but... Uh... Uh, still doing okay, I guess, Vin, in 94, 95, I think, this year. So I think he's doing pr- pretty well still. But, That's good. And, and yeah, you hated to see him go. Him. I mean, five years ago, he was still, if, if not the top of his game, he was pretty close. I mean, I got yep. to see him a lot of times on uh, just on, or hear him on Sirius Radio. Yeah, amazing. I mean, amazing, the uh, the longevity. I think, you know, when you're that good and that high, uh, you know, up, uh, you, you can just carry on. Uh, long past the years, most of us are able to be uh, all that articulate. Right, right. <laughs> well, first of all, before we get into some of the, the history of Red, uh, I, I mean, obviously you sound like a, a baseball fan, but more of a broadcast fan as well. Was that kind of the impetus for, for writing about Red Barber? Yeah, um, you know, I was uh, sort of schooled as a social scientist and did a lot of uh, quantitative research in the mass media area. But uh, later in my career, I got the, the opportunity to start writing more historically oriented material. And I did a book with a friend on the history of baseball on television. Right. And then I did a subsequent book of, on the history of baseball on the radio. 
And in that book, I became really acquainted with Red's archive at uh, the University of Florida and saw what an incredible resource it was and how it really hadn't been tapped. Nobody had really done a, a, a full biography of Red. Uh, Bob Edwards did a wonderful tribute book uh, to Red whenever he passed away. But in his book, he said, I really hope uh, somebody does a serious biography of Red. And my wife, Judith Hilder, and I uh, took that task on and decided that this would be a great project to work on. And it, it really fulfilled all of our expectations. Unfortunately, there's uh, there's quite a bit of material that you can even just YouTube alone right now. Somebody puts up these great old broadcasts. A lot of them are Dodger broadcasts where you hear the whole game. Uh, and a lot of them are, are Red Barber. A lot of Vince Scully, too. Mel Allen. Uh, I don't know where they're getting them. I guess somebody obviously recorded them on a tape recorder back then. But at least there's a lot there you can hear of Red's work. That's what's great. Yeah, you can still hear these voices, and uh, and you get more and more all the time. Uh, you know, I'll I'll be away from YouTube for a while and go back and do a little keyword searching, and suddenly a whole new series of things pop up. So it's uh, it's an evolving thing. And you're right. I think people have broadcasts. They find them. Collectors find them and uh, decide to to share them. And so you really can hear these voices. And and he really pretty much invented i think uh the way baseball is done on radio i think i grew up in new york uh you know i call taught the tail end of his career but marty glickman i think invented how you do basketball and i think red barber you'd have to say invented how to do baseball at least at least the way it should be done right on radio yeah i, I think so he's the one that really professionalized uh, the role of broadcasting there certainly were great broadcasters before him and and he readily acknowledges that he always uh credited graham Mack. McNamee was somebody who really uh, stimulated right. him uh, and uh, somebody he wanted to emulate. But uh, Red was the one that really professionalized it. And he had a he was a, he had a strong academic uh, mind. Um, he when he was in college, thought that he might be a university English professor. Uh, and he certainly loved language. He loved reading. Um, and he uh, then sort of fell into radio accidentally. And right. when he did, he was so good at it. But he always brought that sort of um, real professional approach to the uh, the job of the broadcaster. And he readily, readily recognized that there were other styles, but he really felt that the play-by-play announcer should be someone who really prepares. He saw preparation as 75% of the broadcast. You really needed, needed to know what you were going to do before you sat down before that mic. Yeah, he and I have one thing in common. We both started in college radio. So uh, he started the, the University of Florida station, right? Right, WRUF. <laughs> one of the Absolutely. greatest places yeah, you could go there. to start is uh, college radio. So uh, it's, and uh, I think, he, like you said, it was by accident, right? He didn't really plan on going into that at all. No, no, and he really became uh, the voice of the Florida Gators uh, football team, right. uh, and he really became very popular long before he got popular as a baseball broadcaster. He was well-known in the region and really helped sustain that uh, station, uh, WRUF, during the uh, Great Depression when, as a state-run entity, there was a lot of speculation that uh, the state would pull the plug, they'd need to spend money on this in you know, hard economic times, um, but the popularity of those uh, um, football broadcast uh, certainly helped the station, and and he grew tremendously in the uh, few years he was uh, announcer there. Talking about Red Barber's style of broadcasting, which really he pretty much developed on his own, like you said, had some influence with Graham McNamee, I guess some of the other, Bill Stern, some of those old great voices, but uh, with the, the college baseball, I guess that's who he kind of did his first game in college baseball, and then of course he got the job of Cincinnati, that was his first uh, major league job, but pretty much he uh, he had to kind of figure out how to do it on his own, didn't he? 
Yeah, um, you know, he there really weren't uh, that many models that he could listen to. Uh, you know, when he was coming along and developing as a broadcaster, not every uh, team did games. A lot of teams did not do games. Uh, and so there weren't that many to listen to. Uh, and so he sort of developed his own style. He did it with college and uh, semi-pro games in Florida. And then when he went to Cincinnati, he was hired to do uh, baseball broadcast, although he was really hired as a general announcer and baseball was just one of his many assignments. Um, but he had never seen a major league game, uh, when he broadcast his first major league game and they actually stationed, uh, another staff announcer over his shoulder during that first game, just in case he totally, uh, uh, came apart, (laughs) uh, and wasn't able to handle it because they weren't exactly sure what they had hired. Um, and then about the fifth inning, he looked over his shoulder and realized that the, uh, the spy for the station had, uh, had left and he was, uh, <laughs> he figured he had made it at that point. And, and what he did, and just again, you can get to hear some of his work, even some Cincinnati games, I think are still available, but he brought the real, the, uh, almost the, the minute the descriptions of what was going on at times. It wasn't always like that. I mean, he would, he would broaden it as well, but the real minute descriptions and also the storytelling, yeah. I guess he combined both of those things. Yeah, he had, and, and he had incredibly colorful expressions. You know, many of them have become famous. Uh, the catbird seat, uh, the rhubarb, uh, and uh, and all of these uh, were, you know, things that just, just came spontaneously. His most famous uh, uh, barbarism was old doctor, uh, right. and uh, he actually only said it once, uh, and that was uh, in the famous uh, 1946 World Series, the catch of uh, DiMaggio's uh, ball. And uh, he he but he really um, was able to bring a, uh, a kind of incredible detail to his description of the game. And Bob Costas mentions this, that, you know, uh, he would describe the number of hops the ball was taking as it was going <laughs> through the infield. Uh, and of course, this was radio. People couldn't see this. And uh, Costa says that a lot of broadcasters now, most of them now, were influenced by television where the audience obviously can see that. And so they don't provide that kind of detail. But when you listen to Red's broadcast, particularly in his early days, the incredible verbal detail and the speed at which he's able to do yeah. that is, is just remarkable. Yeah, that's where you really hear the influence uh, uh, that uh, Vince Scully got. If you listen to some of those, actually the most famous, I guess, is the Koufax uh uh, perfect game, right in '66. Yep. Uh, just yep. describing, really, you know, Sandy wiping his brow, you know, off the pants leg, you know, the the time of the day, at night it was, all that. That, that. That's definitely from Red. Yeah, absolutely. And also, uh, uh, Vin, I think, really profited from the fact that uh, when the Dodgers moved to the coast, um, very, very few of their games were on television, and he really got to be a radio broadcaster mm-hmm. for much of his career. And uh, that's where that skill really comes in. And, and Red really had difficulty transitioning television. Not that he wasn't a skilled professional, but just in terms of his own personal satisfaction. Uh, he loved radio, uh, and he was really a master of that form. And in television, he felt he always was subservient to the director. Right. He had to follow the picture and uh, and describe what was going on. And there were numerous times where something that he really wanted to talk about, he really couldn't talk about because the camera wasn't on that. Uh, and so he really uh, did not like the transition to television, although he recognized that that's where the money was and that's where the audience was. 
and he had to make that transition. Yeah, primarily in Brooklyn. Uh, obviously, there wasn't a lot of television when he first went there, and he did the Dodgers till about what fifty four, fifty five, right? Then he then he went to the no, Yankees. No, uh, he actually left after the fifty three. Fifty three, yeah, um, yeah. That was the that was the last season with the Dodgers. Yeah, and then he went over across town to the other. A lot of people forget uh, that he was a Yankee broadcaster, probably longer or maybe close to the amount of time he was with the Dodgers. But people close don't, don't associate it as much. Right, 15 years with the Dodgers and 13 years with the Yankees. And I think, uh, you know, he he went at a time, obviously Mel Allen was the voice of the Yankees then, and he always deferred to Mel as the voice of the Yankees. He had been the voice of the Dodgers, but Mel had had established that, and uh, he saw himself as working as a colleague with Mel. And they actually got got along very well. Um, They had very different styles, but uh, they basically got along very, very well, and a lot of respect uh, became each of them. He had some troubles with uh, Phil Rizzuto because um, he had replaced a very good professional broadcaster named Jim Woods. The sponsor decided to, to drop Woods and hire Phil Rizzuto, who, of course, was very popular, a very popular player at the time that just retired. Um, and Phil, um, listened, but basically he didn't want to prepare the way red felt that he should prepare. So there was always some tension related to that. Yeah. I've just written a book. I, I didn't realize that, uh, that, but, uh, yeah, I think red is one of the, like, obviously old school. He wasn't really a fan of having ex players in the booth unless they kind of paid their dues. Right. Joe Gargiola, I think had the same situation, uh, with red, didn't he? Yeah, initially, I think it was a more a little different situation in that Joe was a very established broadcaster. He right. had quite a few years of experience when he uh, worked with Red, and Joe had a tendency at the time perhaps to talk over or to interrupt um, and rather than sort of uh, taking turns. And he did that a couple of times to Red, and, and Red, you know, had a confrontation with him, and they, <laughs> they got that they got that straightened out. And then later, what's what's really uh, wonderful when you when you get a chance to look at the archive and see some of the letters. There's a really nice uh, letter uh, later in their career after Red uh, embraced Joe and Joe embraced Red, and they really uh, grew to really respect each other. And Red began to see Joe as a really excellent professional uh, who, in the mold that he saw a professional broadcaster. So um, there was some tension initially, but uh, that was repaired over time. Yeah, Joe, well, Gary had a chance to talk to him once. Nice man. But really, when you look at his career, forgetting that he was a ball player, he did so many things in broadcasting other than sports. I mean, he did the Today Show. He did a game show. He did the parades. I mean, he and news uh, right. on radio and TV. So, I mean, he, he became a great broadcaster, all-around broadcaster. Absolutely. And the dog show, I think dog that show, was right, something right. that, that people, people, some people knew him from that. Yeah. Right. yeah. Of course, Red, uh, like we said, with the Dodgers and uh, left in 53. And uh, he could be a little prickly, though, right? I mean, I've heard stories yep. even before I read your book, uh, you know, kind of a stickler for, uh, you know, money and what he wanted. And if he didn't get it, he just, you know, said, I'm not going to do it, right? I mean, he, he could be a little yeah. tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the reason he left the Dodgers, well, the real reason is uh, Walter O'Malley took over the team, and Branch Rickey had been really almost a second father to uh, to uh, Red, and he really respected Branch Rickey a lot. And uh, Red had he himself admits had been kind of spoiled. Larry McVail and Branch Rickey had been his two first two bosses in broadcasting, at least with the team, and. Uh, he they, they they left him alone. They let him do what he needed to do. They respected him, and they were hands off. O'Malley was a little bit more uh, likely to say something, not not directly interfere that much, but maybe a snide comment here or there. And Red, particularly at that time, kind of at the height of his popularity and power, 
really resented that. And finally, it came to a head in 1953 when the uh, sponsor uh, refused to negotiate with Red over the salary for the World Series. And uh, uh, Red got very upset about that. Uh, it wasn't a matter of money. He just felt that they, he, he could not accept the take it or leave it demand. And so he left it. He, uh, he dropped, he did do the World Series, which was, you know, the mega sports event uh, of the time. Uh, he had done many of them before that, but, uh, when he left, um, uh, O'Malley just said, well, that's your business. Uh, and he read really resented that. So that was sort of the reason, but the Yankees also made a very pop, a very strong offer and, uh, read, uh, actually went to the Yankees to do interviews, the, to do the pregame and postgame show. And they actually worked the play by play in afterwards um, right. because he was a very skilled interviewer. I mean, that's a, an aspect of his career that a lot of people uh, have sort of maybe forgotten about. But he was a brilliant uh, interviewer. And that was really a big part of his job during the Yankee years. Yeah, he did so much other, we mentioned before, uh, went on about other than broadcasting baseball. I mean, he did uh, entertainment shows, which I didn't realize till I read your book. But I remember as a kid, he did commercials for, I think it was Tropicana, Orange Juice. Uh, I remember those. So he, he did so many yeah. things. Uh, the interview show, like you mentioned, it wasn't always sports either. I mean, he, he talked to different people. Show business. Right. And he, yeah, and he was a spokesman for General Electric, and the guy that replaced him was somebody named Ronald Reagan, right. who you may have heard of from somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those guys, and uh, again, I mentioned before we went on, my uncle, uh, uh, who was in a show business, singer Tom Dillon, was the shepherd of the Lambs Club, and people know the Friars Club. Lambs Club was a similar organization, and, and Red was part of that because uh, he did so many things involved with show business other than baseball. So uh, he, yeah, he, he was yeah. part of that world. Mel Allen, too. Yeah, and, yeah that's true. And uh, and Red was, uh, was an executive. Um, he had a long run, uh, more than 10 years at CBS, essentially as head of their sports uh, department, which was primarily radio when he started. And then, of course, we shifted to more uh, focus on television as we moved into the mid-50s. And uh, so he was doing that job as an executive, um, you know, obviously more in the off-season. But uh, it was a very time-consuming thing. And that's one of the reasons he had a really serious health crisis in 1948. Uh, bleeding officer almost killed him. Uh, he almost died in Pittsburgh. And after that, he really kind of went through a kind of transformation where he uh, started to see life in a little different perspective. He's, you know, this happens when he's 40 years old. He's kind of at the height of his popularity. He's earning uh, a very substantial income for the time. Uh, and he begins to realize that maybe there's got to be a little more to life. And, and his, um, uh, belief, uh, his feeling that uh, religion could be used for uh, social good and his desire to work for charitable causes uh, really came to the forefront. And that became a very important part of his life uh, for the remaining uh, uh, 44 years of his life. He would be, he was a, uh, I guess they called it a lay reader, right? Episcopal Church? Yes. He did Episcopal that. Church lay, yeah. lay reader, uh, and he was very, very proud of that. Um, he took it really seriously. Um, he also did an amazing amount of uh, fundraising work for the uh, Red Cross during the Second World War and also the blood drive, um, the Red Cross blood drives and bond, and uh, savings bond drives. So uh, he was uh, he was very much into that even before. But I think he, the, he took on a, a religious tone, a, a spirituality, which became really important to him. Uh, and uh, and he carried that through uh, the rest of his life. 
And, and he left baseball broadcasting, left the Yankees, uh, what, 65, 66, whatever it was. Uh, I guess, was it really over the, 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 the low attendance uh, where he said, you know, turn the cameras around, or was he going to leave anyway? Because that seems to be the story. Uh, People think, you know, he got fired because he said that. Yeah, um, I think that, that that became the popular story, and it, and it is a nice story, and that, you know, the sort of grand uh, broadcaster of the old school gets let go by the the Yankees who are now owned by CBS uh, who don't know what they have. And uh, they dismiss him because he tells the truth about yeah. the low attendance at the, at the end of the season. But in fact, uh, our research shows us that they had made the decision to not renew his contract uh, about two weeks before that event actually took place. Right. Uh, and so, uh, and it, it really was a case that they found his personality was a little too abrasive. Um, they found that he was, unwilling to change and also if you look at the yankees in 1966 they were going through a terrible transformation (laughs) yeah and on the field and off the field and of course mel allen had been let go two years prior to that and i think for a lot of people the surprise was that mel allen was let go um and that uh when brett barber was let go that was really part of the purging you know before that casey stengel had been let go uh and so it was it was a case that the team was uh, was turning over, and so they moved to a different broadcaster, and they got rid of someone who was very expensive. Uh, by the way, his salary was quite high yeah. um, uh, compared to other broadcasters. So there was some savings there uh, as well for the team, and uh, he really resented it at first. He he was vowed to find another position, but within about a year or two, he realized that those jobs were kind of hard to come by and that he was really enjoying his transformation into his second career, which is that as a writer. And he right. wrote six books in a very short period of time. And over the next uh, decade, uh, well, next two decades or more, he did um, nearly uh, 900 um, newspaper and uh, uh, te- newspaper and uh, magazine articles. Uh, so he became uh, actually a pretty prolific writer and had regular columns for uh, more than a decade. In a sense, I think you mentioned in the book, looking back, he probably said that was the right time because look how bad the Yankees' whole organization was yep. until about, what, 73 when Steinbrenner bought them. They still yep. weren't great until 76. So he would have had another, what, 12 years of broadcasting terrible baseball. So he probably wouldn't have lasted much longer anyway from, from that aspect of doing the game. Yeah, I mean. it, it, yeah it's, hard, it's hard to know. I mean, I think there was bringing out. He later saw it as, as I think, often when – things like this happen in our lives and our lives take a new direction. We see it as uh, something that was a fortunate uh, right. occurrence that at the time we didn't think was, but, uh, and he certainly saw it that way because he really was able to make that. But I think he would have continued and he actually saw the, the rebuilding of the Yankees uh, going to the bottom and then reemerging as an exciting story. And he saw it as something that was a challenge for him. Um, and he had done that with the Reds back in the 1930s. They were a terrible team whenever right. he came in. So he actually wasn't afraid of that. Um, but ultimately, the grind of daily broadcast and the rigid uh, timing of the seasons was starting to get to him. So it probably happened. And he was 58 when it happened. So he was, you know, reaching uh, his later years. And again, the people uh, of later generations uh, remember him, if they do remember him at all, which I hope they do, is is the weekly visits on uh, NPR on Fridays. I got to hear quite a bit of those uh, when I moved down to Florida here. And just a short segment, you always, you know, would hope it would go on longer. I think it was about four or five minutes. Uh, yeah. It, would, it wasn't necessarily about baseball. Sometimes uh, it had to do with, you know, his garden or something. I mean, very entertaining, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, you actually got a uh, certificate from the Chameleon Society because he talked about them so often. How <laughs> he talk about the birds outside. But, of course, he also did serious stories on sports and social issues as well. And uh, Bob Edwards just worked wonderfully. wonderfully. They, they developed a real rapport with each other. And what's so great is somebody in their 70s whose health isn't all that great at the time. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, pretty much not going to travel that much or be as active. And he becomes as popular as he ever was, you know, arguably more popular nationally uh, because of NPR, NPR. And he becomes the most popular feature on NPR. So um, it was a really amazing thing. That doesn't happen to too many people in their 70s. No, no. And he was able to do it from home, which uh, made it easy for him living down here yeah. in Florida. So, uh, yeah, it was a great segment. Uh, and and yeah. by the time you, you, you got into it, he said, oh, you got to wrap it up. They, they, too bad they didn't make them longer, but I guess... Maybe that's the way yeah. that should have been done. Four minutes. <laughs> yep, short and sweet. That's it. Well, he had a, a wonderful career, a wonderful life, and uh, he had a pr- relatively long life. I guess it was, what, late 70s when he passed away, right? Or did he make 80? Uh, well, 80, actually, 84. He didn't make 84. Uh, okay. He literally occupied the 84 years in the middle of the uh, 20th century. Yeah. Born in uh, 1908, died in 1992. Yeah. So. Good life and uh, left, a, like we said, a great legacy, not only of his own work, but uh, passed it along to uh, the great Vince Scully, who uh, did it for 67 years. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. uh, Jim, uh, I just don't hear those kind of announcers anymore. There's some good ones, but uh, that style is yeah. uh, pretty much gone, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's a well, it's a different media world, and uh, but I guess we can we can treasure the past, like when we watch an older film, a classic film, or something like that. Uh, uh-huh. We we treasure that, even though that isn't the popular style at the moment. And elements of uh, of those broadcasters are going to reappear in different forms. Uh, and I think uh, uh, a lot of broadcasters still have learned things. The uh, the thing that Red learned not to uh, talk over the uh, the crowd when something dramatic right. happened on the field to let the let the uh, audience enjoy the sound of the crowd um, before breaking in. Things like that are things that broadcasters have internalized and uh, and do today. And they often reflect uh, that Ben Scully they learned it from Ben Scully, and of course Ben Scully learned it from Red Barber. Yeah, no doubt. Red Barber, The Life and Legacy of a Broadcasting Legend is the uh, title of the book. We've been talking with uh, James Walker today. James, I know the book's been out a a month or so, uh, but uh, where can they get it? I guess everywhere. Do you have a website you want to direct people to? Uh, well, I guess University of Nebraska website, just uh, type in University of Nebraska Press, not University of Nebraska, University of Nebraska Press, uh, and go to their website. You'd probably be able to buy it there and probably get about the best price, but you can get it really anywhere, um, uh, online. And then, uh, it seems to be stocked in a lot of Barnes and Noble stores that I've seen. Uh, I can't really speak to uh, other bookstores, but I, I do know that they stock them in a fair number of Barnes and Nobles. Great. But uh, basically online, you can find it anywhere. And we'll put a link on our website as well. But, uh, James, really great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time. I know we kept you longer than we said, but I, I could talk about broadcasting all day, as, as, as you probably can too. But we'll, we'll let you go for now, and we'll hopefully can talk okay. to you again. <laughs> okay. It's, it's been a pleasure. and really enjoy talking with you. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America. 